Good morning. I'm Pastor Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local in the Wyoming Valley, the Wilkes-Barre area, and we're looking to start small groups to talk about spiritual matters and look at the Bible together and plant churches. We are trying to be disciples and make disciples. If you'd like to have a Bible study, please contact us. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, teaching, and preaching. You can also find us on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. If you need something, please also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. People are looking for something to give their life to. And what God's Resistance is all about is giving your life to the kingdom of God and giving your life to God's resistance. Last week, I talked about the freedom of our will, that God's created us with a free will. God loves liberty, and he preserves our liberty to choose. Today, we'll be talking about how God maintains the strength of his law in the midst of people that have a free choice to reject him or to choose him. So how can God show mercy and still be just in light of those that break his law? Let's listen in on today's briefing. So a word about justice would be very helpful right now. When we, especially in our American culture, think justice, we think punishment. Justice must be served. We hear about all this inflammatory stuff that is going on inside of our country. Justice must be served because of the overreach of government powers. There's been alleged police brutality on people. And I'm not saying that it's never happened. I'm just saying there's so many different cases to know which ones are what is a little hard to keep track of right now. But when we see that, people say justice must be served. We see some ill done to a child. Justice must be served. Usually when we hear the word justice, we think of punishment, lock them away. But that's not a full concept of justice. So we need to look at justice in its larger picture. Now, we're thinking about justice in kind of the governmental sense of what you and I are experiencing every single day. But where do you think all this justice came from? This idea of justice, the reality of justice came from God himself. There's got to be a first cause for what's right and wrong and what's moral and then what justice really looks like. So the prevailing thought of justice as it relates to God, God is always obligated to punish sin. Therefore, he sent Christ. God was so angry that his wrath had to burn on someone. So Jesus took our place. It was like God was so angry that he just wanted to fire his wrath down and he couldn't cool himself off because he was in such a passionate heat that there had to be the shield between us and God himself. And that shield was Christ. Christ took on the brunt of God's fiery wrath. That is just not a proper scriptural view of God and his justice. I do want to say it is true that there is sometimes very severe judgment executed by God. You can look throughout the Old Testament and you can find where fiery judgments came down on the people of God for the wickedness that they had done. One account that comes to mind right now 
is when the people of Israel were practicing idolatry at the base of Mount Sinai, and God just wanted to wipe the whole of them out and said, Moses, I'll start fresh with you. We can see that God's wrath and anger does burn hotly against sin, but because of his disposition to exercise mercy, look what happened. Moses prays and intercedes on behalf of these sinful people, and then God decides he does execute some wrath, but he doesn't do it to the fullest extent that he was originally thinking because Moses steps in. So the idea that God is always obligated to punish sin, and that's why he sent Jesus, isn't entirely accurate. We are told, however, that mercy rejoiceth against judgment. In other words, the dominant desire of God's heart is mercy, not just solely judgment or the common concept of justice must be served. Mercy rejoices against judgment. And that reveals to us that God is naturally disposed to be merciful. God doesn't take delight in just casting hard judgments on people and throwing them off into a fiery hell. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This shows us that God is looking for a way to show mercy first. That's his first desire. But if he cannot hold his just and holy government or uphold it in doing that, then he needs to punish according to the severity of the crime. And that has to be executed in order for him to maintain the strength of the law, the strength of the government, and the confidence of the people whom he's governing. Two things are necessary to make just that infliction of penalty that's called for on the part of public justice. That term public justice probably bears some defining. There's that retributive justice, which is you did wrong, you need to pay for it. And that is solely aiming at one person's character and what needs to be done in light of it. Public justice takes not only someone's personal character into account, but it also takes into account the good of everybody in light of what's going on. So public justice isn't solely just, you did wrong, you need to be punished. Public justice is what's best for this society, this, this society that's being governed. Is there a way I can exercise mercy on this offender and still keep peace and order in society? Or if I try and exercise mercy on this person, am I going to ruin that and then have a whole kingdom of people that want to rebel against the king? So again, I was saying two things are necessary to make just the infliction of penalty called for on the part of public justice. First, that penalty must be deserved. Did this person do wrong? What was the wrong that they did? And here is the penalty. Is that penalty in fact deserved? We must determine that first. Number two, the infliction of penalty must be the best thing that can be done. So we don't just say, okay, the penalties deserve, therefore let's mete it out and justice will prevail. Now we have to say, is then, though he's, this, this penalty is deserved, is it the best thing that can be done, not only for that person, but for the entire people that are under that government? So this man, A.M. Hills, he was a congregational man under Charles Finney, uh, he didn't espouse to every doctrinal thing that Finney did, but he was a man great in the holiness movement in the Church of Nazarene in its fire and in its zeal and its glory days. He says this, the definition of justice, therefore, is not you get what you deserve solely. A good definition of justice would be 
where God deals with sin in such a way as will bring about the most good to the moral universe, to punish when he must and forgive when he can. Public justice is divine justice in moral administration, securing the highest good of all moral beings over the uh, moral universe. If we think about that for a second, that's amazing. It, it just gives us such an elevated picture of who God really is. He's not just trying to execute and mete out judgment and wrath for every offense that people have done. He is after the highest good of society, the highest good of moral beings, the highest good of the moral universe. So he takes that whole picture into account. And you know, when we can see God like that, God can win the affections of our heart. God can woo us to himself. But when he's just a vengeful, wrathful God at all times, and he doesn't have any of these other concerns in view, it paints such a lopsided picture of this great and loving God that we have. And I must say this in our present day, the cry is, God is love. He wouldn't do such and such. God is love. And because he is love, he will mete out judgment when necessary. He will send people to hell, not because he just, you know, is a tyrant in the sky and wants to, but because people's choices. He didn't send people there just because he wanted to. People chose to go there and they did not choose those conditions whereby in his government, he could then change that sentence and penalty and make a greater good out of that. It really is more up to us and our responsibility in light of God's judgments, in light of who God is, and in light of our own sin. The responsibility is heavily laid on us as individuals. What are we going to do with Jesus? What are we going to do with God? So what is evangelical justification? I say evangelical because we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about what God has done for guilty sinners. What is that justification? Some people have taught that it's a judicial act. However, it's not a judicial act because the judicial branch of government determines whether something agrees with or violates the law. In the word judicial, you can find the word judge. It's the arbiter. We're looking at the evidence, we're looking at the facts, and we're determining where something either agrees or disagrees with the law. So again, the judicial branch of government determines whether something agrees with or violates the law. If justification, according to the Bible, the justification of a sinner, somebody who has transgressed God's law, was a judicial act, then it would mean that he would have to find a person innocent. The problem with that is the law ever and forever will show that a sinner is never innocent. A sinner is forever guilty before the law. The law just tells us what is right and what is wrong. However, the penalty of your sin can be graciously forgiven or remitted. So it's not a judicial act, but an executive act. Because somebody who's the executive or the executive branch of government executes the law, executes uh, what needs to take place in light of the law and governing all things. If we just go by the strict letter of the law, sometimes we destroy 
the very spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is to maintain order and peace in society and in God's to maintain order and peace in a moral government and in a moral universe is to maintain that order and that peace and that goodness and that righteousness. So if he can then pardon somebody and change them around and make them new creature in Christ that won't continue to transgress his law, and he can do that without sending a soul to hell, then that is his function as the executive, as that executive branch of government. So with that, we're judged guilty. However, if you who are guilty of sins and you are judged to be guilty, if you comply with the conditions of the, of the executive of the government, which is God himself, then he can rightfully pardon you, the guilty person, while also upholding his government. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. I've talked with people like this so many times. If we were in a court of law and somebody says, Judge, I murdered somebody, but you know, what I've done right now is I've helped old ladies bring their groceries into their car. I've tried to help them plant their flowers and weed their gardens. I've tried my best to be an upstanding citizen. Does that change the fact that that person broke the law? Does that make them innocent? It doesn't make them innocent. And if in that situation, the judge and the jury, after hearing this man's plea says, oh, you know what? He looks like a good old boy right now. Let's just let him go. I would think that everyone would be in an uproar. I don't want a murderer in my streets. What's to say that he's not going to go out and do this again? And if you allow this guy to go, what's that going to do for everyone else in society? They're going to be so angry about what's taken place that they're going to feel emboldened to be a rebel, to fight against law. And here's a perfect illustration in history. There was a man named Zelenkis. He was king of the Locrians. It was the Grecian colony in southern Italy. And he was finding that his little realm was being destroyed by the sin of impurity or, or adultery. So what he did was he made a law. Anyone who commits adultery in my kingdom, the penalty is going to be that both of your eyes will be plucked out. The very first person that transgressed that law was the king's own son. Now he's in an awful dilemma. What's he going to do about this? Put yourself in his position. If your son did something like that, you don't want to pluck both your son's eyes out. Your fatherly heart wants to do something to exercise mercy. But then in your mind, you think, well, if I don't do something about this and I have favor with my son, then all these other people, they're gonna, my words aren't going to hold any weight with them. They're actually probably going to rise up against me and they're not going to look at me as a fair and a just ruler. So what do I do? You can imagine the crushing weight that was on this king's heart. And this is true extra biblical history. So this is what he does. He says, pluck one of my eyes out and pluck out one of my son's eyes. 
that did something. Now the people of his kingdom realize that his law does mean something. It was so serious that he even took some of that penalty onto himself to be a substitute for his son so that he could exercise mercy. Now nobody says the law means nothing. Nobody feels emboldened to now rise up in rebellion against the king. But at the same time, the king, with that desire for mercy in his own heart, can now rightfully exercise mercy upon his son by not plucking both of his eyes out, but allowing his son to still have vision in that one eye. What an awesome example and illustration. And you know, that's exactly what God has done through Jesus Christ for guilty sinners. Isaiah 53, 11 says this, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. He didn't have to, but his heart is disposed to mercy, so he did do it. He bore our mercies, just like this king, Zelenkis, bore that transgression of his son. His son did the wickedness, but he took it upon himself so he could exercise mercy on that object of love, which was his own son. So definition then, and I think this is A.M. Hills as well, justification is that governmental act of God by which on condition of the sinner's repentance, turning away from their sins and faith in the atoning savior, God pardons his sins, remits the penalty, restores him to the divine favor, and thereafter treats him as if he had never sinned. The sinner, having turned from sin, becomes a recipient of the favor of God. He's accepted. He's forgiven. He's pardoned. He's forever guilty, but his guilt or, or the, the penalty of that guilt is pardoned. And in the transaction of justification, there are three parties. First, God is the offended sovereign. It's God that justifieth. Christ as the advocate, he's not a defender, but he's the interceder. He's stepping in on our behalf. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And then there's the third party, that guilty person that deserves the wrath of God. Justification, however, we need to get this clear in our mind. This doesn't make us just and righteous before God. Regeneration and sanctification do. And regeneration means being born again, receiving a new heart, being born again. That makes me righteous. Sanctification is that act of God whereby he cleanses the heart and makes us holy. That is what makes us righteous before God. Justification solely has to do with the government of God. He's pardoned your sins and my sins if we have met his conditions. And that punishment because of our sins, he has wiped out. He doesn't hold it against us anymore. And while he does that, he's all the while upholding his government and the purity of his government. So remember this, God justifies through his son. We are born of the spirit and we are sanctified or made holy by the spirit. So what does justification do? Justification saves us from the penalty of sin. Look in Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're saved from the penalty of sin, God's wrath, which the ultimate end is in hell. Justification is salvation from the wrath of God, condemning souls to hell. Not only does it save us from the penalty, but it restores us to the favor of God. Look in the first verse of Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification brings peace. Why? Because the penalty 
of the law has been removed. That would make anyone peaceful. Thank God I don't have to go to a fiery hell forever. And it, and it begets a love inside of our hearts, a, a, a gratitude, and it brings a peace because now I don't feel like I'm at odds with him anymore. Things have been made right. And that's the next point. It also, justification declares us righteous. It doesn't do it by the law, but by faith, because the law tells us you're guilty, you've broken God's law, but faith justifies us. Righteousness is imputed by faith through the Son, through Jesus, unto justification. Romans 5, uh, excuse me, Romans 4, 5 through 8. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. You're probably thinking, what does impute mean? Imputation is literally to have something credited to your account. So the Greek word for righteousness here is not speaking about holiness of heart or a change of heart necessarily. This righteousness carries the idea of acceptance through government. In other words, you're not considered a criminal against God anymore. He has not imputed sin against you or the penalty of sin against you anymore. He's imputed righteousness. The law has said that now there's no problem in my pardoning you. It's like requiting a crime that you've done in the court of law so that it's not legally held against you any longer. Therefore, you're declared righteous as far as the law is concerned from that point forward. In other words, where you've broken the law, the judgment or sentence cannot come against you anymore because justice has been maintained and satisfied. So we're declared righteous. Righteousness is then imparted through faith by the operation of the Spirit, that holy and righteous heart. So you may be asking the question now, that sounds tremendous. That's wonderful. You mean there's a way that I can get out of this whole thing? You mean God can justify me? He can remove the penalty of the law against me, a guilty sinner who has gone against God and sinned in his sight? But how do I receive this justification? What do I do? Romans 3, 24 through 26. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that is God's righteousness, that he might be just because if he didn't give Christ as the substitute, it wouldn't be just for him to just say, ah, okay, there you go, you're fine. And not only to uh, be just in his dealings, but then to literally justify and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So here we find justification is free. Romans 5.18 says it this way, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Thank God. Jesus stepped in and made this conditional salvation for you and I 
and it's a free gift. All I have to do is meet God's conditions, and God's conditions are that I repent before God. I have an attitude in my heart that says, I hate sin. I turn my back on it, and I'm no longer walking this way. That won't save you in and of itself, because then I need to believe and trust in Christ to then pull me up and out of the ditch. And he's given us that free gift to all men unto justification of life. Justification is by grace, not works. That is why we are not declared innocent, but rather pardoned. God never declares us innocent. He just says you're forgiven. Acts 13.39 says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by by the law of Moses. So the law condemns based on works. Faith justifies through grace. Romans 5.1, we read this before, but we read it again here. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That couldn't be any clearer. We are being justified or having been justified by faith. So faith justifies us. Faith in the substitute and the atonement of Jesus Christ. Only the righteous can justify the guilty. It'd be one, isn't, wouldn't it be silly to think that me, a person who has also been guilty of sinning against God, if I looked at my friend and I said, you know what, man, you're such a good person. I feel so bad for you and the sentence has come upon you. You know what? I just declare you to be justified, man. I'm going to pardon you. I don't want you to go through all that. How do I have any right to do something like that? However, if only the righteous can justify the guilty truly, then that goes to show that Jesus Christ is that righteous one. He has the right to do that through his death, through his perfect life. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth, condemns to hell? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Jesus Christ has the right to condemn me to hell, but also... He has, instead of using, just doing that, like we were talking about with retributive justice, you did wrong, you're going straight to hell. That same Christ that died, he's risen at the right hand of God and he's praying for us. He's interceding. Remember the three parties before God, the offended sovereign, Christ, our advocate or the interceder and the guilty person. There's Jesus standing between us and God interceding for us. He has the right to condemn, but he is the righteous one that can justify the guilty. And that's what he does. So. When I'm justified, God treats me just as if I'd never sinned. This does not mean that I'm innocent, but rather a sinner saved by grace. Many say sinner saved by grace is an excuse for their present sin, but Paul called himself the chief of sinners who is justified by the blood of Christ and, as he said in 1 Corinthians 5.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You deserve eternal hellfire. Because the law condemns you everlastingly to outer darkness and permanent separation from the God whom you offended, but God was rich in mercy that while we were yet sinners, while you were yet a sinner, and maybe you still are yet a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly, the just for the unjust. God wipes your record clean on account of his son. The only way for God to maintain his righteous law throughout his kingdom is that Christ would be our substitute in our place. Not because the wrath of God had to be vented somewhere, but as Zelenkis with his son, Christ was our substitute, 
out of pity, compassion, and mercy. Have you found yourself guilty before God, the judge of all the earth? That same judge has offered you pardon for your guilty sins. You have broken God's law. You are guilty, but he wants to pardon you. He wants to wipe the penalty away so that your sins aren't held against you anymore. And he can legally have you go forward without having to send you to hell. And more than that, make you a new person. Where are you in your walk with God? Has God been talking to you about your sins? You can be justified from all that you've done through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, or if you need someone to talk or pray with you, please contact us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for teaching, preaching, and video content. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any videos. If you want to have a Bible study, please contact us. You can also contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com, or you can call us at 570-362-7782. Join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.